Well, good morning, Pompano. How are you guys doing this morning? Happy Easter to you guys. Hey, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us here at our Pompano Beach campus. And uh, on this side of town, man, I'm so excited. This is our first Easter over on this side of town. And can we just stop real quick and give it up for uh, Pastor Craig and the message that he preached last week? If you all were here, he knocked it out of the park. And uh, you guys have an incredible, incredible pastor. I'm, I'm so proud of what's happening over here. And I'm really, really excited about Easter. This is a little bit of a non-traditional Easter message here today. So if you guys want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, that's where we'll be hanging out today. Uh, for, for the most part, we'll, we'll skip around a little bit, but mostly we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And because this isn't a traditional kind of Easter service, an Easter message, I, I want to start off by reading this scripture out of Luke chapter 19. It says this. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And, and this week I was thinking about this verse and I was, I was contemplating this verse because I've always looked at people that uh, know Jesus as like they're part of the club kind of idea. And then people that don't know Jesus, like they don't have any idea. Like they're not his kids yet. Like they are not yet, they haven't been found. And, and I was thinking about this verse because in order to have something that's lost, you have to first possess it. Isn't that true for most of us? Like, like I haven't lost a Ferrari yet. You know, I, I would like to lose one, but I, I just haven't done that. Uh, like, I don't roll into the Ferrari dealership on US 1 and walk in and be like, that's my car. Because I've never possessed it, right? And so, like, but this verse right here says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, which means that, that every single person is his. That every single person in mankind is his child, is his kid, which means that, like, my perspective has been, like, I'm his kid because I'm in relationship with him. But if you're not in relationship with him, you're not his kid, which that is the exact opposite of what God is saying right here. What God is saying is, is that everybody's his kid. Just some of those kids are geographically found, and some of those kids are still geographically lost. And, and he's just waiting for them to come back to him. He's waiting for them to come back into a relationship with him. And, and I know a lot about being lost. Uh, I, I'm a prolific loser of things. Anybody else out there? Anybody else out there lose some things in life? Like three of us. Okay, awesome. Well, you'll relate to me. The rest of you guys, you guys can just talk amongst yourself, apparently. So, because this isn't relevant to you. But I'm, I, I lose stuff all the time. In fact, last week while I was here at this campus, uh, the week before, our entire staff had gone to a conference. And we had a great time. And I would brought $400 in cash with me to this conference. Because you just never know what's going to happen and why you might need some cash. And so I had this $400 with me the entire time I was at the conference. But when I got home to South Florida, I couldn't find this $400 everywhere, anywhere. And so I was freaking out because how many of you know $400, that's a lot of cash, man. That's like, that's like multiple pairs of shoes, guys. You know, and uh, <laughs> I, I love shoes. Or, you know, or I mean, it, that's a lot of date nights for you married people. For single people, uh, I, maybe that's a lot of online dating sites. I don't really know. I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to put that load below there. But, you know, I mean, like $400 is a lot of money. And so I'm freaking out. I'm like, where in the world did I place it? And, and so I'm looking everywhere I can think of. And what do you do when you've lost something? You always go and say, like, where is the last place I had it? And so I'm thinking about where is the last place I had it? And I said, I remember having it in Jacksonville. That's a bad place to remember having it. And so I'm like, well, I'm probably not going back to Jacksonville to find that. And so 
I thought about the next place I, I had it, and I was like, maybe I left it in Kevin and Rhonda Michaelis' car, because they let me borrow their car and, and bring it to Jacksonville. And so last week while I was here, I, I walked up to Rhonda, and I put my arm around her. She's, she's one of the elders here with her husband, Kevin. And, and I just said, Rhonda, I have a really, really important question to ask you. By any chance, did you find $400 in your car? And I was trying to be really, really sweet because I was afraid that Rhonda had found that $400 and spent it. You know, like, like <laughs> she's like, yes, my husband left me some cash and just blew it all at, at the grocery store or something. I don't know. Or Kevin took it and gave it away because that's what Kevin does with money. He just like gives every dollar he has away. And I'm like, he probably gave it away. And he's not going to tell Rhonda because then he'll get in trouble that he gave that money away. And so I'm just out $400. And I was freaking out. Because what I lost was valuable to me. Like if I had lost a key, like a key isn't that valuable. I can go over to Home Depot and get another key made for $1.99. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so the search intensifies based on the value of the thing that's lost, doesn't it? Like you parents out there, you all know that at one point or another, you lost one of your kids. You know it's happened. And when you lost that kid, you didn't turn around and go, you know what? I got three more. Who cares? Did you? No, nobody does that. You didn't, you didn't like take, take inventory at that point. You, in fact, you didn't even care where your other three kids were. All that you cared about was that one kid because the value of the thing that was lost caused you to intensify your search. And so, I'm, I'm, man, I'm freaking out about this. And then, man, my wife, uh, thank goodness for wives. I'm telling you what. Like, I, I get into her car this week, and she's go, she opens up the glove box, and she goes, did you know we had $400 in here? And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You know, like, thank you, Lord. You answer prayers. You're still listening to me. Like, I was freaking out because something was lost that was of huge value. And if you want to know what Easter is all about, if you want to understand the heart of God for Easter, Easter is all about God finding his lost kids. His kids that have wandered off and he's wanting them to come back to him, not just physically, but relationally as well. Because Jesus came on a search and rescue mission for those and for that which was lost. And today we're looking in Luke chapter 15 and, and let's just go ahead and start there. In verse 1 it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And, and let me just stop right here because right here, Jesus is in conversation with some people. And right away, the, the religious people of the day, the people that would be considered found in, in that point in time, they, they, they notice that Jesus has a problem. And Jesus' problem is, is that he's always hanging out with people that aren't like the religious people. And so they automatically term them sinners. And, and so I just want to define what a sinner is because we're in church. And so I want you to understand what it is. A sinner is basically anybody that does stuff that you don't do. Isn't that what we think? Like, that dude's a sinner. Like, he went to an R-rated movie. I don't ever go to R-rated movies. I'm holy. Like, he's bad because they do something that I don't do. Like, in church, we're not sinners anymore. We just have issues, right? That's how we roll. We, like, we don't mess up anymore. We just have issues. Come on now. You know, you know it's true. You're like, I just have issues. Some of those have got you in some major, major trouble, but they're just issues. And, and so, like, he's talking to these people that are jacked up. And so Jesus continues in verse 3, and he says, So he told them this parable. And what I love about Jesus is that Jesus never does theology lessons for people. What Jesus always did whenever controversy was arising or whenever he needed to answer some questions or 
confront some issues in life is Jesus told stories. And he tells three stories here. And I'm going to tell you the first two, and then we're going to read about the third one. The first story that he tells is he tells, says that there's a shepherd, in which everybody in this, this group would have understood that because many in this group were probably shepherds. And he says, listen, there's a shepherd who has 100 sheep. And, and everybody's like, man, I, I relate to that because we're shepherds and we know that, that sheep are a really, really important thing and, and that, man, I need to, to make sure that I have all my sheep because that's my worth, that's my value, that's my significance in this community is how many sheep I have. And he says, like, how many of you guys know that if you had 100 sheep and one of them got lost, you would leave the 99 sheep and go and find the one that was lost. And when you found it, you would come back and celebrate like crazy. And they're all like, yeah, man, we would totally do that because all of a sudden we would have lost like a percentage of our income and all of a sudden we've got that back like that's a time to celebrate and so that thing that was geographically lost has now been found that's an awesome thing then he goes on and tells another story he says there's a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one of those coins and she searches everywhere to find this coin and we think about that we're like so what if somebody has 10 dimes like, are you, if we lose a dime, are we really going to search out and try to find one out of 10 dimes? I mean, we'll just go, we'll just go buy another one, right? That's what we think. But the reality is, is that in those days, for a single woman to have coins was her dowry. And what women would do is they would make a headdress in those days, and they would wear those coins. And as they wore those coins in public, other guys who were potential suitors for them, potential mates for them, would see the significance of the coins that they had and base their worth and their value of, do I want to marry this woman? And so could you imagine being a woman with a, a headdress for 10 coin slots, and one of your coins is missing? Like, you are so less than, like, this would have been the biggest deal for a woman to, to have this missing. And it says that, man, she searches everywhere. She looks in every nook and cranny in her home to find this one coin. And when she does, man, she gathers up her friends, and they celebrate the very thing that was lost geographically that's now found. And he tells these two stories, and they're significant because they're talking about the geographic location of something that is far away that is finally found, and they all celebrate, and he talks about how heaven celebrates. And then he goes, and he tells a third story, and it's found in verses 11 and 12. It says, then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me a portion of the goods that fall to me. So he divided them his livelihood, where he says he divided his property among them. Basically, what happens is a guy has two sons. One of the sons is a younger son, which in biblical time would have meant that he was very insignificant in the social standing and the social status of life. And so the younger son goes to his father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance. And what he, in essence, is saying to his dad is he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Like, would you just keel over of a heart attack so I can get what's coming to me? Can I just have what you have for me? And this request would have been like unheard of in that time. Like to basically say like, I just want what's coming to me. And like, I care nothing about you because family was so valuable would have just been uncomprehendable. But yet this is exactly what this son does. And what the father does is even... Uh, blows the people's minds even more because the father, his status, his wealth, his place in society, everything that he's accomplished in life is all tied up in his wealth and in his property. It's all tied up in everything that he's accomplished in life. And basically the son is saying, listen, everything you've accomplished I could care less about. Give me what's coming to me. And so the father does something unthinkable and he goes and he sells off 
what he has and divides it up and gives it to the younger son. He goes ahead and gives it away because the father here knew exactly geographically where the son was. Geographically, the son was in the house. Like he was sitting there with the father, but relationally, he was far from him. Relationally, his heart was so far away that there was no repair of that relationship because the son wanted nothing to do with the family. And so the father, knowing that his son is distant relationally, gives him exactly what he asked for. Some of the worst things in life are the times in life when God gives us exactly what we ask for in our prayers, isn't it? Because most of our prayers, if we're honest, are all about me, myself, and I. Like, God, I want more of this. Give me this person. Aren't you glad that God didn't answer that prayer in high school for that guy you were looking for, ladies, and that you just went to in your 10-year reunion, and now he's a tub of goo? Like, you're glad he didn't answer your prayer right there. And so what happens is, is that he walks away from his father. In essence, what he's doing is he's walking away from God, and he doesn't realize that what he's walking away from is so much more than stuff. He's walking away from the power and the presence and the relationship that he has with his father. In Luke 15, 13, it says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. It says he spent all of his money money living wildly like like he lived it up now right here what preachers most of the time do is they look out at the young people and they go young people sin is not fun sin is not fun and and let me just tell you something like sin is not fun dude that's because you old preachers aren't doing it right because sin is fun like when before I was in a relationship with Jesus, man, I was cussing and I was fussing and I was partying. And let me tell you something, it was fun for a time. Like the Bible even says that sin is pleasurable for a moment. But here's the problem, there's always consequences to sin. And I learned this all the time. Like this past week, man, I was driving down US 1, I was driving to Fort Lauderdale and there is like, this, this place called Krispy Kreme Donuts. And uh, like I have no problem with Krispy Kreme Donuts 50% of the time, but when that red light pops up and it says hot, like it's like a beacon for me. And like, like a dozen Krispy Kreme Donuts, man, they are pleasurable. Like that first one, like you know when you pick up that first hot Krispy Kreme Donut and the sugar is like melting and dripping off of it and you take a bite of it, that is so good, it'll make you want to slap your mama. Like, like, bam. It's awesome. But the 12th one? Like, I'm having trouble fitting in my best today because of those 12 donuts. It's pleasurable for a moment. But there's consequences to it. And, and, and I know this to be true. Like, when Shayla and I were first married, um, I think it was either in the first or the second year of our marriage, it, I, I decided, man, I was a hopeless romantic, and, and I think maybe this experience ruined me, but I, I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spit some game here today like I've never spit before, and I started planning this date for this evening, and, and I went, and I sent Shayla some flowers, and I said, babe, you better get ready for tonight because tonight is going to be, ah. 
awesome. Like, and it had the high-pitched voice and everything. And, and, and so, like, I sent her that, and, and I went, and, and I started getting the arrangements made for this really, really nice place to eat dinner at. And I was like, man, I, like, tonight is going to be one of those brown chicken, brown cow kind of nights. Brown chicken, brown, brown, you know, like one of those. It's like, it's going to be awesome. Like, this, tonight's going to be a good night, you know. Tonight is going to be a good, good night. And, and so, like, I'm preparing. I'm getting ready. I go to Victoria's Secret. I pick something up. I check it out. I throw it on the ground and go, man, that's perfect. And I pick it back up. I buy it. <laughs> that's how you're supposed to shop there, aren't you? I mean, like, because that's where it's ended up. Anyway. I don't care what it looks like. I, I want it on the ground. Yeah. And so, like, I do that. And <laughs> Hey, I'm married, okay? This is, this is okay. This is marriage. I'm going. I'm, I'm going, man. So Shayla gets home. I'm like, babe, slip into something nice. We, we're, we're going out tonight. And so, man, we go to this restaurant. I'm whispering sweet nothings. It is all, like, the entire time of my mind going, I'm getting lucky tonight. And, and like, that's all I'm thinking. And, and so we, we, we wine and dine. We stop at Kilwins, get some dessert, get some ice cream, and and we come home, and I'm like, why don't you just, why don't you just relax? I'm going to go draw you a bath, and uh, you can just go in there and relax, and then, you know, we'll, we'll finish up a little bit later. And, and so I go and draw the bath, and, I, and, and she goes, and she gets in the bath and shuts the door, and I'm thinking, man, this is going to be a really, really good night. I'm doing good right here. And then I hear her throwing up. She got food poisoning. I've never done anything romantic since. ruined me so many times though I think the devil is out there and he's whining and he's dining us and he's setting us up for some food poisoning we think we're going to get it all and what we end up with is the very thing we didn't want at all and this guy loses everything that he thought was good in verse 14 it says when he had spent everything a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. It says when he spent it all, and there's, a, there's an old saying that sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go to, it'll cost you more than you ever wanted to spend, and it'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And that's exactly what happened to this guy. And that's happening to some of you in here today. Like you are living out there, going for it all, living it up, thinking that like this is never going to change. And what you don't realize is that it's costing you something that you can't even comprehend right now. For some of you, it's going to cost you your marriage because you're flirting with that person on Facebook that you used to date in high school and you're thinking, man, it would just be so much better than there. And man, it's going to cost you something. Some of you guys, you're messing around with your finances and there's more month than there is money, but yet you're still out buying stuff every week on your credit cards and thinking like, oh, I'll take care of that later. No, payday is going to come at some point. And you're going to end up destitute and broke. For some of you, the sin that you're living in, the things that you're doing, the addictions that you have right now, they're not just going to cost you something. They're going to cost you your life. Because it always costs you more than you ever imagined that it would ever cost. And it always takes more than you ever wanted to give away. And when times are good, who needs a relationship with God? When times are good, who needs a relationship with the Father? What, but what this boy realized is that when times are bad, when the recession hits, hello. We just went through one of those, didn't we? When times are bad, like all of a sudden, you come to your senses, don't you? And he comes to his senses and he goes, man, man my dad's got it so much better than what I have it right now. 
And what I hate for most of us is that when we're going to come to Christ is when we hit rock bottom in life. When we get to that worst moment that we've ever experienced. And when you get desperate in life, you need hope. You need help. But what you need more than anything else is that you need God. I just felt very, 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 very depressed, very, very, you know, antisocial. I would barely go out of my room, even, even for work. The emotions during that period of time went from confusion and not knowing what to do to absolutely uh, devastation and, and loss and, and, and not knowing exactly what I was going to do to move on. My whole identity revolved around being in this relationship, and I didn't know who I was without this other person in my life. As a college graduate, I always found myself in the center of the party. I was the life of the party. I was always going out drinking, you know, just being that goofy guy, but deep down inside, I was a lonely wreck, a lonely individual with no sense of direction or purpose. In fact, when I moved back down here, I found myself in a place where I was even considering suicide as a viable alternative. My life was a mess. My wife and I had been married for 30 years and uh, had a great relationship, had uh, lived every, all over the country and uh, had a routine colonoscopy in uh, 2009 that uh, ended up detecting cancer and she dealt with cancer for three years and uh, ultimately passed away in 2013 and the emotions during that period of time went from confusion and not knowing what to do to absolutely uh, devastation and, and loss and, and, and not knowing exactly what I was going to do to move on. I was at a really dark place in my life when I got out of a five-year relationship. My whole identity was centered around who I was in this relationship, and I didn't know how to cope without this other person in my life. There's a quote that says, if you live for someone's praise, you'll die by their rejection. And that's exactly how I felt at that time. During this time in my life, I felt so rejected and unloved and unwanted that I turned to other things in order to try to fill the void that I was feeling inside. I started hanging out with the wrong crowd and partying and drinking, but all of it was just temporary and I was always left feeling worse off than I was before. All this anxiety was building up inside of me and I became so desperate that after a while I ended up being placed on suicide watch. Even at this low point in my life, my desire as a musician was to play in front of a live audience because that's where I felt the most alive and free. So the morning of my wife's passing, there was a, um, a visitor to her that was a, a, a fellow who we had known and she had known through her work, and uh, it was a fellow named Craig. Uh, Craig was involved with a church that I had not known about, and uh, there was uh, an outpouring of, uh, of food and, and, and uh, things to eat, and, and stuff just arrived, and it, it arrived out of, I, did, I couldn't believe it, it, it was just like a, a care that um, uh, came upon us and, and um, I, I 
did not know that South Florida could, could be that generous. I didn't know what to make of it. When I found out about this church and that they were looking for a musician like me to play in their band, I decided on a whim to check it out. After this initial meeting, and as I found out in the coming months, my life was never the same because I found a group of people that believed in me and accepted me for who I was, saw the potential in me to become something better than I was at that point. And to be honest, it was something I've never experienced or felt before. A week after I got out of the hospital, I came to Coastal, and immediately I knew that something was different about this place. The joy that people had on their faces, the passion that they had for God, it was so different and I knew it was something that I wanted. That week, TJ preached a message all about how much God pursues us and He loves us, and that changed everything for me. I learned that no matter how far I ran away from God during that dark period of time in my life, He was still chasing after my heart, and He loved me, and He wanted me, and there was nothing that I could do that could ever make me fall away from His love and from His grace. This was an act of uh, kindness and love that uh, really touched me. We ended up, I ended up going to uh, church after not having gone to church for, for many, many years. I ended up going to the Easter service in 2013 at, at Coastal. And, uh, Nowadays, I'm being used in ways I never even imagined possible. I've gone from a person with no purpose or direction in my life to an individual and a leader at our church who's helping people get out of their dark places in their life and realizing their potential. Since God got a hold of my heart, I really began to see things change in my life. I started serving, joining connect groups, and building relationships, and now I find my worth and my value in who God created me to be. It's, uh, it's been wonderful. It really is what I've needed, and, and what I'm trying to do now is, is in some way give back. It's not about me, but it's about uh, reaching other people too, and it's, uh, it's what we've got to do with each other. We've got to, we've got to kind of help each other out, and, and people that have helped me make me want to help other people. that I think is the biggest problem that we face is that a lot of us, we're geographically found. We know exactly where we are in life right now. Maybe that's a, a decent place. Maybe that's a great place. Or maybe that's a really, really, really bad place. Geographically, we're found, but relationally, we're so far from God. We're so distant from what He wants in our lives and what he has for us and we're searching for significance and worth and value in all the wrong things all of the people on that screen they all have a story about how they wanted something in life and they were searching for it in all kinds of different ways and they can never find it until they found this person called jesus they could never find it until they got back to the very heart of the Father. And the reality is, is that the trajectory of their life was, was where it was because of the decisions that they had made in life. And the trajectory of your life is based on the decisions that you've made in your life. And so if, if you don't like where you're going, you got to look at the decisions that you're making. And what is the decision that you need to make today in order to change the trajectory of your life? And so this son does something that's absolutely incredible and something that's so rare in today's culture 
He responds so differently than how we respond. In verses 17 through 19, this is what it says. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And what the next verse says is it says he started his way home. And the son does some incredible, incredible things right here that, that I think that probably we need to look at and, and assess in our own life. And the first thing that the son did is the son confessed. He had confession going on in his life. He, he looked and he said, man, you know what? I'm going to say to my father, I have messed up. Like, I messed up. I made a mistake. I was wrong. And this is what I know is that we can't get right with God until we're willing to admit that we picked the wrong path. Like, we can't settle the issues that we have in life with God until we're willing to say like I chose the wrong way and God I made a wrong choice and I need your help in my life and the problem is today is a lot of times we don't like doing that we would rather just go out there and bargain with God and say listen God if you'll help me out right now then I'll do this and you do that like we love to bargain that's our society that's why we love bartering shows and all of these things all over the place because we like to barter with God and bargain with him rather than confessing to them. Or the other thing that we like to do is we like to make excuses. And what confession is not is not making excuses. Listen, the problems in your life are not there because your mom tightened your diaper too much when you were a little kid. Or your dad painted your room pink. That is not the reason for the issues in your life. The reason you're facing some things and some sin issues in your life is because you've made some bad decisions and the first thing you have to do is you have to confess like, I was wrong, God. Just like the son is saying to his father, like, dad, I messed up. And then what he does is he repents. He has repentance in his life. And it's not just going and saying, I'm wrong, but it's doing something about it. It's taking action and saying, you know what, I'm going to change it. So what the son does is he says, man, I messed up. I jacked this whole thing up. And then he turns and he starts to make his way home. He starts to take a whole new action in his life. Now, for most of us, what we think is, is that, like, you know what? I've got to fix my life before I could ever go back to my father. Like, I've got to fix the situation. I've got to fix all the areas that I've messed up. I've got to get everything perfect and tidy and right before I ever go back to God because there's no way that God would accept me in the state that I'm in. There's no way that God would take me right now in this place with how jacked up I've made things, with all the mistakes that I've made and all of those things. And that's because we have a bad view of God. We think that God is out there and he's just waiting to point his finger and say like, you jack things up. Let me tell you something. Hell is hot and you're going to burn. Like we think that that's, that's our perspective of God because we have a bad view of him. But this is what the verse says in verse 20. And it says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And I think about that. I think about the fact that, like, this father, if he was so angry and he was so upset, why would he ever be outside waiting for the son to return? Because the very heart and the very essence of God is, is that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so he's looking and he's waiting. He's waiting for anybody that will turn back to him and say, like, I'm going to make my way back. And as soon as he sees us start to take those steps, like, God takes off running 
towards his son. The father takes off running towards his son. And if you understood the context and society there, like a patriarch of a family would never run. Like he would never do that in that society. That was like a no-no. But here this father is seeing a son that was relationally lost coming home and he takes off running after him. And as soon as he gets to him, this son is sweaty and dirty. He's been in pig pens. The first thing he does is he embraces this son right in the middle of his mess. Saying, listen, you don't have to get it all figured out. You just need to come home. Like, I love you just as you are, right where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. Like, I love you. And he calls to his servants and he says, man, get him the best robe and, and give him the ring, which is the authority of the family. Like, he said, listen, even though you've taken your portion or your share, like, you're still a part of this family. Like, that does not mean you're, you're disqualified to be a part because you've messed up. We accept you right back. And it says they threw a party for him. And it tells me something. It tells me, man, if you're still breathing out there, God has got a purpose and a plan for your life. And he's just waiting for you to come home. And if you'll come home, everything will change in that moment. I heard this story of this girl named Christina. Christina was 15 years old and... uh she was like many 15-year-olds in the fact that, you know, she didn't really like all the rules and the regulations and the curfews and all the things that parents put on, you know, teenagers. They want them to, you know, go to bed on time and study and do all those things. And, and Christina thought that was a little oppressive for her parents to want her to do that. And so she decided one night, like, you know what, I want to live my own life and, and I want to live it up and I want to live it up in the city and so she decided to pack up some things and she took off in the middle of the night to get away from her oppressive parents and go live out the dreams and the desires that she always wanted the next morning Christina's mother Maria comes into her room and sees that Christina's gone and all of a sudden she knows exactly where Christina is she knows that Christina wanted to go to the city and she had ran away from home and the mother panicking grabs some things jumps in her car and starts driving towards the city and on the way there she stops at a Walgreens random place to stop and goes inside to the photo section and gets pictures done of herself she takes a whole bunch of the pictures and she arrives in this city and she searches for Christina everywhere and everywhere she goes, she puts a picture of herself up. Plasters them all over the city and days and days go by and she's searching like crazy for Christina but can't find Christina anywhere. And eventually she has to return home and she's heartbroken that her daughter, her little girl, is lost and gone. Months pass by. Life in the big city for Christina wasn't as glamorous as she thought it was going to be. And one evening after she had sold herself to a man once again to eat and have some shelter. She's walking down the stairs of a hotel. The light that once bounced in her eyes, the exuberance that was once 
in her life, gone. And as she gets to the bottom of the stairs, she turns to walk out the door and hanging on a mirror in the lobby of the hotel is a picture of her mother. And she's a little startled by this, but she walks over and she grabs the picture of her mother and, and is looking at it and tears start streaming down her face and she's looking at it and she notices that there's something on the back and she turns it over. And the mom had left a note and it says, Christina, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, I love you. Just come home. See, 2,000 years ago, God put a picture up for all of us to see. His name was Jesus. He died a pretty gruesome death, shed a lot of his blood to cover all all our mistakes, all of our failures, all of our fears, all of our issues, but more than that, to cover our sin. And God's been plastering his face all over the place. Just like Christina's mother did, so that when you would see it, you would flip it over and go and see that he would say, no matter what you've done or where you've been, I love you. Just come home. And when you come home, when you turn to me, I'll change everything. I change everything. Would you pray with me? God, we just come before you here today. And I know that there's some people that are here that maybe geographically you know exactly where you are. Maybe that is a good place. Maybe it is a bad place. I don't know. But relationally, maybe you've drifted from God. Maybe relationally, you you never even knew that there was a God that loves you. Like this love that we're describing, that that he would be willing to sacrifice his one and only son so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. That this is what this day is all about. And that all you have to do is turn to him and he'll come running to you. Because it says in the Bible that if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. What that means is that, man, like he comes running to us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're out there today and this is the day that you need to come home to Jesus. You need to come home to God. And it's real simple. It starts with you saying a prayer. That's the first step. And maybe that's you. If you just slip your hand up, I'd love to pray with you. Yes. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. If you just pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud, God, we just come before you. And I thank you that 2,000 years ago, you sent your son to die on a cross. That his blood was shed to cover all of the junk that I've done in life. And God, I just pray right now that you would come into my life, that you would be my Lord and that you would be my Savior. I thank you that three days later, that, that man who died rose again so that I could have this life and have it more abundantly. 
God, I pray that we would be overwhelmed with your love and your grace and your mercy here today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.